You're listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show, where business leaders and health experts give insight while you take a break from the daily grind. Your host, Joey Price, is an entrepreneur with over a decade of startup experience and CEO of the managed HR services firm Jumpstart HR. Want to join the conversation or have an idea for the show? Tweet us at BizLifeCoffee or Joey directly at Joey V. Price HR with the hashtag BLCMoments. Want more episodes? Head on over to iTunes to subscribe. Business, life, and coffee, personal development for busy professionals. Now let's get to the show. Entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and big thinkers all have one thing in common. Their next big idea. But when you're taking an idea from thought to reality, how do you monetize and protect your precious intellectual property? Joining us today on the Business Life and Coffee Show to talk about the ins and outs of IP is Robert Bobby Klink, principal of the DC-based IP law firm Klink LLC. Now, Bobby graduated cum laude from Harvard Law School and is now an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C. He works with entrepreneurs and startups to harness innovation and develop a sound business strategy. Working with entrepreneurs is his passion. Bobby focuses on issues entrepreneurs in the U.S. deal with, namely safeguarding intellectual property from copycats, thieves, and social media mishaps. You can check out his latest book, which is called The Entrepreneur's Guide to IP Planning Playbook. Welcome, Bobby. Uh, It's great to be here. Well, let's jump right in uh, and just give an overview of uh, why should every entrepreneur be knowledgeable about the perils of IP law? Well, the reason why entrepreneurs should be knowledgeable about uh, intellectual property law is because they probably don't realize it, but it is their biggest asset as a business. Uh, most um, valuation experts, valuation experts are kind of all over the place, but the low end estimates are that intellectual property represents about 40% of the value of a company. And on the high end, it'll be 90 or 95% of the value of a company comes from their intellectual property. So we, when you think about that, it is unquestionably the largest asset class that most companies will have. And especially if you're a newer company and an entrepreneur and a startup, you probably don't have a lot of physical assets. You probably don't have a manufacturing plant or anything like that. You are largely the accumulation of your brand, your ideas, and various other types of kind of uh, or intangible assets mm-hmm. that you own. So with, with that in mind, I, I always put the question, how can you afford not to be thinking about these issues when it is such a large asset class, um, especially when you compare to the amount of planning that most um, most business owners will do in other areas. They'll create a business plan, a marketing plan, uh, and all kinds of different plans, but you rarely find people, if, if they haven't talked to an IP lawyer, thinking about their IP until a problem comes up. And that is, that's a big mistake considering how valuable the assets are. Yeah, I mean, especially with the internet being what it is and it can, uh, being the tool to connect all of us, whether you live in D.C. or Seattle or Mumbai or uh, London. Uh, so there are people out there that can easily have access to your intellectual property, whether it's your website, whether it's your brand, whether it's your blog, whether it's your music, whether it's your, uh, your podcast. Uh, all of your assets 
uh, can be easily accessible. And um, it's interesting that people can sort of just be copycats and thieves and you never know where your stuff might end up. Yeah, well, there's that piece, but there's also another piece, which is that um, the, the Internet is also exposing people um, in other ways to liability. So if you think about it, um, 30 years ago, if you were using a copyrighted, someone else's copyrighted information uh, without their permission, there was a good chance no one was ever going to find out about it. Right. Nowadays, on the other hand, if you're online, I mean, there are bots out there. There are all kinds of things out there that are searching for information. So, and this is a common example. If, if someone takes a copyrighted picture and puts it on their website without a license, guess what? There's a good chance that someone's going to find out about it, especially if it's from one of the bigger agencies um, because they have uh, firms whose job it is, is to go out and find people who are infringing their intellectual property. And so, you know, th those are the types of things that are happening more and more now, um, and, and they didn't happen so much in the past. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, it's one of the reasons why, uh, as a blogger, I, I mean, you know, full transparency here, I used to use the images uh, when I started out from sites like, uh, uh, I, I can't remember the names of the site, but one day I got a letter that said, hey, uh, we, we saw that you're using this image, uh, you know, we're giving you a warning, but also here's, the, here's what it would cost uh, to, to resolve this. So um, that's very real. And for the blogger, so, so I, uh, I say all that to say now when I use images, um, I'll make sure to use the uh, royalty-free images or images that I already have clearance. Uh, and and you know, going back into old blog entries and making sure that that's all cleaned up. And when yeah. we have uh, when we have guest bloggers on on our uh, on our on our page, the big thing is make sure that your images are um, that you have the rights to the images and you provide the the uh, source uh, of the image. Because that's one thing that, you know, to be honest, I, I, it wasn't on my radar. And I'm sure for many people listening to the podcast now, if they're blogging, if they uh, are in charge of branding for a company or for a nonprofit, uh, the images, that's a really, really huge thing. Yeah, and, and nowadays, luckily, there are a lot of great resources. I think Pixabay is one where you yes. can get the the royalty free. You know, there there, but there are also relatively inexpensive places if you want to buy images. Shutterstock, for example, you can get images pretty cheaply. Uh, you know, there are the much more expensive places like Getty Images and and those types of places if you really want a a, a featured type of image for your website. But there are plenty of free resources you can use to to go get it. But just make sure you're actually getting it from a place that has the, the right and you know if it looks kind of shady maybe you shouldn't use it and go to somewhere that doesn't look like that yeah yeah i'm a huge fan of uh pixabay and now there's one uh pexels uh which yep. has some some images that people can use uh so <laughs> we talked about one of the common mistakes which is uh taking pictures online without uh crediting them and using uh images that uh actually are uh, where you're required to use royalties. But what are some other common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make when it comes to IP? And it doesn't necessarily have to be on the, uh, on the infringement side, but just you know, in, in not protecting their IP as well. Yeah, the, the big issues that I see uh, come in, in, in two categories, uh, other than kind of, a, I would say, a meta-level issue is they're just not thinking about it. So that's kind of the big 
uh, high-level problem is entrepreneurs just aren't thinking about these issues. And, and really, if you just put a little bit of thought into it, you would, you would be way ahead of most people. Uh, so that, that's kind of a, a high level, but that's pretty abstract. So let me give you some concrete issues. <clears throat> One of them has to do with trademarks. And so let me back up. We haven't talked about exactly what is intellectual property. Well, intellectual property is just a, it's a catch-all term that refers to any kind of property right other than a right in a tangible thing you can hold or a piece of dirt, basically. Mm-hmm. So ideas, um, inventions, et cetera. So one category is patents that covers inventions, and that's the one most people know the most about, uh, that and maybe copyright. Well, patents are get way too much attention. They're expensive. They take a long time to get, and quite honestly, most times you get nothing from them. There Very few of them ever actually either result in a product being made and sold or someone licensing it and getting paid for it. Copyrights, we've already talked about, that's uh, rights in any kind of creative work. So an image, a a written work, a book, for example, but even your blog post is a copyrighted, uh, protected information. Uh, The next category is trademarks. So trademarks is a reference to either a word, a phrase, an image that uh, tells someone the source of a good or service. So think of it as a brand name. Coca-Cola is a trademark name. That's If you ever see that uh, TM, that's what that means. Uh, the final category is trade secrets. And trade secrets are is basically an area of law that says that it, commercially valuable information that you have taken reasonable steps to protect and keep confidential is entitled to protection and can't be taken uh, from you. So the classic example, well, let's go back to Coca-Cola. The recipe for Coke is a a trade secret. They have kept that secret for 100 years or more, and so it it has protection. If someone were to steal it at this point, they would go to jail, and they could also, Coca-Cola could get an order saying no one can make it based upon that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, For most entrepreneurs or more, a uh, concrete example of that is your customer list. If you have a customer list in your kind of your CRM, that would be uh, a trade secret so long as you're taking steps to protect it. So with that background, we talk about two errors that people make. First, in the category of trademarks. A, a lot of entrepreneurs will spend all kinds of time coming up with what they think is the perfect name for their business or for a product or for a brand that they're launching. And then they don't take this, the common sense step to go out and figure out whether they can legally use the name. Now, I think you should probably get a trademark if it's something other than a side hustle. But even if it's a side hustle, you need to make sure that someone else hasn't already gotten you know, either a federally registered trademark or is already using it in the same space. And it's a pretty simple process. You can go to the, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, and they have a website where you can search registered trademarks. But, you know, there's a, there's a much simpler thing. Open up a web browser, uh, go to Google, and type in whatever <laughs> name you want to use and see what comes up. Right. You know, and, you know, if you get 10 or 15 pages deep and no one else in this field is using that name, you're probably pretty good. I mean, it's not a guarantee, but at least you've done some, some basic due diligence. And let me, let me tell kind of a, a simple story that's close to me of an example of where someone didn't do that. Uh, I happen to enjoy uh, brewing beer and craft uh, beer, so I follow the craft beer industry in where I am in Washington, D.C. Our first brewery here in town was called D.C. Brow. They have a beer. Their their flagship beer is called – or one of their flagship beers is called The Citizen. 
Mm-hmm. At about, I don't know, three, four years after they had launched, another company came in, in kind of the first suburb outside of Washington, D.C., and they were going to launch their brewery, and the brewery was going to be called Citizen Brewing Company. Well, D.C. Brow didn't actually like that very much, and so they sent them a, a letter. They were able to resolve it without a lawsuit, and Citizen Brewing became Denizen Brewing. And they make they, they both make pretty good beer, by the way. Yeah, um, I was going to say that, that's, uh, that sounds familiar. I think I may have had one of their, their breweries before. But but so so the, the the interesting thing was though if you think about it this this Denizen Brewing they had spent time in marketing and developing the brand because it was only when they went public and you know they they announced themselves to the market that all of a sudden they get this letter and so they essentially had to backtrack all the money and time they had spent in kind of building the the buzz or the idea for Citizen Brewing and who knows they'd probably bought the domain name they probably started to do a lot of those things and all that was a waste now yeah. because they couldn't use the name so that's a a classic example and luckily they caught it early because it could be that you know you are a regional place you have spent six months, a year, building a following, and then all of a sudden, a, a national trademark holder finds out about you and sends you a letter, and you have to decide what to do. Yeah. So you know you don't want to find yourself in that situation. And like I said, it's it's easy to to figure it out. Just do the search up front, and you know, quite honestly, what I tell you is, you know, if you find something close, you're probably better off just coming up with a different name. Yeah. Because it's you know you you don't want to spend a hundred thousand dollars to fight it, um, and you might as well just come up with something that's clean up front. Yeah, if you oh go ahead go ahead yeah. Well, I, if if you want to talk about that, I was going to talk about the second the second error. But why don't we if you have a question about that, why don't we talk about that? For no, now? I was just going to say uh, I think that the more common your name appears, um, so for example, if you've got like a I don't know if you want to open up a coffee shop and your coffee shop is. Uh, home brew coffee or something like that then you know that's a pretty common name uh i would i would take your advice and go to google i would go to the national trade trademark registry um another tip i'd have also is uh to check your state as well um to make sure that there aren't any businesses um in in the state because uh that could that could come back to bite too what's the other uh what's the other um error there well, so before I go to the other area, I've got to make a point that you, you, you kind of raised in my mind. It's when you use a common name or if it's a pun. So in the, um, in the, in the um, beer world, there have been a lot of trademark disputes because there are only so many puns about hops that you can make. Yeah. But so if you start using puns and things like that, it, if you thought about it, somebody else probably thought about it too. So, <laughs> so be careful if you're either obvious or in, in pun world. Yeah. Uh, so the, the other error I see people make, and this has to do with actually protecting your own, is they don't have written agreements in place. And this affects IP, but it affects other things as well. And, and, and I'll start with the other things. If you are working in combination with someone else, if it's a partnership or if it's an employee, you need to have a written agreement. You need to have a written agreement that defines who owns what and what everybody's responsibilities are. doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need to pay a lawyer necessarily to do it. You can get them off of LegalZoom or a bunch of other websites relatively cheaply. But even if you don't want to do that, just put down in writing and have everybody sign a document that sets out who owns the business or what percentages and what the responsibilities are. If you don't do that, you're just 
you're aching to have a fight in the future. Uh, there was a, a, a case of that, um, that uh, with a, a major personality that people probably have heard of, Adam Carolla, mm-hmm. who he started a podcast, um, had a very popular podcast. I don't even know if he still does, but it was um, highly successful. And he had started it with a friend, one of his longtime friends. I think it was a high school friend, maybe a high school or college. And that guy had, had quit his job, had done a lot of the, the background work. This was back in the day before I think there were a lot of services out there that you could kind of outsource a lot of the work for podcasting. And so you, know, you really had to do everything from the ground up. So this other guy worked on doing that. And at some period after the podcast had become very successful, Adam Carolla said, you're fired. And the guy said, no, no, I'm not an employee. I, I, I'm a partner. And it led to a legal dispute. And they spent, I don't even want to know how much, I would have to say hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, on people like me to have this fight about whether this guy owned part of it or was just an employee. And the reason they found themselves in that situation is because there was no written agreement. If there had been a written agreement, it would have been very clear. It would have said either he's an employee or he's an owner, and you would have known it. So you have to get those things in place, and again, it's – you know. You can start with something very simple. If the business becomes successful, eventually you'll want to add provisions to it, and you'll probably want to work with a business lawyer to get that done. But at the outset, um, just get something down on paper so that you have an agreement. Um, in In the context of IP... It's equally important to have agreements with your employees and and, uh, independent contractors because you you need to have an agreement that says, number one, anything you create or at least defines, if you create something for the business, it's mine. Or maybe you want to come to a different agreement, but if you as the owner expect that what they're doing is going to be owned by the business, you need to have a written agreement where they expressly assign – and that's a technical legal word for transfer – but assign their intellectual property to the business. And you also need a provision that says you will not use any of the confidential information of my business or that you learn while working here uh, for any purpose other than for the business. So that's again, stops them from taking your CRM data with them when they leave and starting a competing company. Right, right. And one of the questions that I had here, we, we, we've essentially addressed it, but you know, as an HR pro, that's one of the biggest fights that I see in small businesses where you have a developer that says, you know, well, I'm the, I was the brains behind the operation and I'm the one that created this, this piece of work for the company. Uh, I should be entitled to royalties or uh, profit sharing or something. But, you know, they fail to, to recall those, uh, those agreements that they've signed stating that anything that you do is, uh, is, is the property of, of the company. So um, I guess we can kind of sit on that one for a while and, and what should employers do to address this head on and what should employees expect uh, when they're developing something? Well, and again, I think the important part is, and the, the important part of putting things in writing, I don't really care what it ultimately says, right. me as an attorney. Uh, the point of having a written agreement is to make it clear what everyone expects. Because if you don't have it in writing, it very well could be the case that people just have different expectations and different beliefs about the situation. And the act of actually going through and putting it in writing will ensure that you all have it on the same page. But also, again, you know, look, I'll admit I don't have a great memory about some things, and it could easily be the case that you know, I had an oral conversation with someone four years ago, and I'm not going to remember it. 
So I wouldn't necessarily remember that. I said, oh, yeah, of course you're going to be an owner. But if it's in writing, it's there and it's, it's, it's clear what it says. So really the, the important part is negotiate these terms and get them in writing. If you're an employer and you expect – and again, I, I, I could use myself as an example. I've uh, hired people to do various creative things for me. For example, create my business cards because I'm a lawyer. I'm not an artist. If you let right. me do it, it wouldn't be very good looking. But <laughs> – you know, I obviously same here, man. Same here. Yeah. So, I mean, I have an agreement that clearly says this is mine. You transfer all rights to this uh, to me for all purposes because that's the expectation. That's an easy example, obviously, because of course that's mine. Um, you know, in in more complex examples, there are concepts of work for hire that can apply even outside, even if you don't have an agreement, but they just get much more complicated and your goal at the outset should be to put to put things in place to avoid a fight wherever possible to minimize the risk of a fight and to make the answer to a fight as quick and clean as possible so that you don't have to pay people like me i'm trying to put myself out of business here joe is what i'm trying to do cuz i have seen way too many fights that just shouldn't have happened um, and, and you know it, it inevitably leads to pain. It leads to suffering. It leads oh, to yeah. hurt feelings. Oh yeah. And there, it, there's just no need for it. Um, you know, we 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 could help entrepreneurs if we can get them to just understand that basic concept of get it in writing at the outset. Yeah. You know, uh, I feel the same way. Well, I don't necessarily want to put myself out of business, but. Um, being in the HR space, we, we get a lot of calls from, I, I call them uh, oops, uh, oops calls, because they did something, and oops, we shouldn't have done it, and now they're calling to see if we can clean it up from an HR standpoint. So, uh, it, you know, it, I can't even say that uh, knowledge in HR, knowledge in IP is, is common sense, because it seems to be uh, uncommon and that that's why people like us exist right so that we can come in and uh, protect businesses and and clean up messes uh, but it's just very fascinating um, you know I, I think of I think of uh, artists because uh, I, I also play bass guitar and I've been a part of studio um, studio work where I'd come in and someone would play a song and uh, they'll say well Put a baseline on it. Well, you know, it's one thing when you have an agreement and it says, okay, well, everything you do to contribute to this, you know, you're going to be compensated and this is the end of your compensation, you know, compensation for time. But what about those open-ended arrangements where there's no uh, agreement, but you uh, contribute to a song, that song becomes a, a hit, and then, you know, you come back around expecting a, a bigger payout. You know, right. so I could see this conversation absolutely uh, taking um, having value for for musicians, uh, for writers, uh, for anyone in the in the media and entertainment space. Well, it, it's it's funny you say that. I I hadn't you know I hadn't thought about it until you started talking. In a way, prior life, I also played bass guitar for bands. Um, <laughs> it was it was always for my brother, who was the lead um, singer and kind of the songwriter behind. Yeah. He's still he's still trying to do that, make a living. Yeah. And I just think about you know periodic. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Literally, say a month ago, I, I had I couldn't find which one of my. Literally, I'm going to date myself, iPod, not my iPhone, my iPod, (laughs) 
had like one of his old records from, I don't know, say 2006. Yeah. And says, so, you know, I'm just going to go on iTunes and buy it again. Yeah. And, and it didn't even occur to me at the time. Somebody now is going to get a check, yep. <laughs> you know, minimal, <laughs> obviously. But the maybe, 20 is, cents, maybe 20 cents, maybe 20 cents. But the question is, do they even know? Because I'm sure they don't have a written agreement that says that, you know, here's the makeup, here's what everybody gets for song royalties. Yeah. And, and, you know, so in that context, it's not going to be a big issue. But when you think about it, you should. You should have an agreement. If you're a band um, that says, you know, how you're going to share proceeds, even going into the future, because it's an issue that will come up eventually, it, especially if you're successful. And exactly. So that's when you definitely have it. Yeah, and I don't want to um, go down the, the rabbit trail too much on this particular topic, but I could think of, you know, when a, when a great musician passes away and you go to iTunes and, you know, their albums are number one, two, three, four, and five on the bestseller list. And if you're a, a, a musician that played on one of those tracks and you're like, hmm, am I supposed to get a cut of all, of all these proceeds? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got a listener question here. Uh, the question is, and this comes from Nate, uh, what are some good safety nets other than separate journals, computers, etc., to prevent entanglement, contested ideas, specifically with respect to large lawyered up companies? So basically, how do you protect yourself as a little guy from a larger company that might say, oh, well, we, we stake claim to this idea, it's ours, and we uh, we've got the funds to to fight you on it. Well, so so again, I, I I'm not sure if the question is if you're doing some work for one of those companies and how do you insure it. Um, again, part of that would be through your written agreement, making sure the written agreement is clear about the extent of your work. And then I think all of the ideas there that the the lawyer or sorry that your um, listener suggested of having separate kind of journals and computers, et cetera, and keeping your work separate is important. Um, you know, I can't help but think of that. Um, you know, and, and again, I haven't honestly looked at this issue and it wouldn't be dispositive, but if, if anyone has watched, um, uh, what is it? Silicon Valley on HBO, there was that classic moment where this guy who has this startup who developed this great piece of technology had like done some small little piece while he was at work at another technology company. And so they were then claiming that it was theirs. So that's the kind of thing you don't want to do. Yeah. Don't mix the two. Um, if you are working, you know, basically silo everything. So when you're working on the stuff for the company, work on the stuff for the company and not anything else. And then when you're working on your own personal, work on your own personal. Again, if you can have a separate computer, that's perfect. That's going to be, you know, the ideal way to go. But again, let's be honest. I mean, nowadays, it's not just a separate computer. And I say this any time in the day, the computer world, you could have done this. There's going to be timestamps and data and everything that you can find. So I wouldn't be typing on one and then go to the other and start typing on the other at the same time because even then you might have an argument that, hey, well, you were working on our project and that's what you made you think of this and so it could lead to that. So yeah. I would separate as much as possible. If it's in a different context and they're not necessarily saying that you're working for the big company, I think the important thing is just to document what you're doing. And the journal there is an important thing. Um, most inventors, I think, naturally do this um, or prolific inventors do. They keep invention journals. And so they will just basically keep a running journal so they're documenting what they do, when they do it, and how they do it. And that becomes important because – 
it just can affect various things about uh, priority and, and those types of issues related to an invention. So that's an important thing to do. It's less so now. The law has changed recently, so now it's more when you file, whereas before it was when you invented something. Um, but you know, I, I think all that's important. You know, I, I can remember again. I mentioned I was in a band. I remember the good old days where. I, we thought before I was a lawyer, oh, well, you need to mail it to yourself. Yeah, that, I remember those you know, things. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can do those things, but all, the, all that was really doing is helping to establish a, a particular date that you did something. There are, I mentioned uh, trademarks. There are actually some uh, new ventures out there, some new companies that are uh, creating these databases. They're not a, a, a federal registry, and they don't register a trademark for you, but you can enter it in their database essentially to get a, a, a timestamp that shows, hey, I started using this trade, you know, this trade name on X date. And so th- there are those types of options available for you as well to try to get yourself just kind of a, a, a plant a flag on when you started using something. Awesome. Yeah, we've come a, a, a very far, long way from the days where we could mail things and call it uh, copyright. <laughs> Yes, I, I think I, I think I still may have a tape somewhere that's in an envelope. <laughs> you and me both, man. You and me both. Like I said, the the whole band thing, and you have ideas. If you're a uh, a writer, and you're like, oh, well, this poem, I'll uh, I'll mail it to myself and seal it. Uh, so really, all we have are our um, time capsules, and not um, yep. purely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, everybody, we're joined by Bobby Clink. He is the principal at uh, the DC-based IP law firm, Clink LLC. Uh, we'll jump into some more questions here. This one is another listener question. Uh, it's basically about protecting your ideas. So uh, Dan said that he wants to know what you should do if you want to protect your ideas um, for the purpose of possibly using them for a book later on down the road. So like if you're a, a blogger or if you um, have thoughts that you put on paper or you share um, in public venues, what can you do to protect all of this so that you can in turn um, use pieces of it for a book? Well, the most important thing, I mean, just so to back up, copyright in this funny uh, it's a good transition uh, from our last topic about email or mailing things to yourself you actually get copyright protection in a creative work the second you put it in fixed form. So if it's a book, the second you write something down, it it gains copyright protection. You, you can separately go through the process of registering it with the copyright office, but you don't have to do that. Sure. So if you are use, blogging or speaking or creating content for your own website or anywhere else, you are – creating content, you have a copyright interest in it, and you can always freely use it later for a book. What you have to be careful of is if you're doing guest blogging, for example. Um, If you do a guest blog, you almost certainly are giving rights away to that information. Me being here talking to you, Joey, I'm I'm giving you the right to use this information and to, to to present it, so uh, you know th- those types of situations can create complexities, and you have to look at the written agreement you have, or if there's not a written agreement, you know the understanding of what the situation is. And again, if it's a copyright situation, if you use a really wonderful statement in a, a um, guest blog post where you have expressly given up the rights to it to whatever website you're doing it. Well, you, you need to go ask them and say, "Hey, I want to include this in my book." 
you know, can I do that? I, and, you know, again, most companies would, or most people would let you do that, especially if you're going to, you know, note that you write and people can see your content at their website because it'll give them more information. But again, the, the important thing is go get yourself permission from the folks and then hopefully you can use it. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I like the, uh, I, I'll probably start telling people that my superpower is creating copywritten works. Uh, because the moment I perform something or I speak in public, it's copywritten. So yeah, the, the moment it's a, it's in fixed form, <laughs> if it's if it's a creative work, it, it is copyright protection. I mean, every blog post you write is automatically copyrighted. You don't have to worry about it. Awesome. Well, thanks for giving me uh, another superpower to add to my <laughs> to my list. Uh, let's see here. Um, in your book. Uh, I want to talk specifically, uh, you've got it's a new book out, The Entrepreneur's Guide to IP Planning Playbook. Uh, and, and where can people buy this, by the way, before we, we dive into it? Well, just to clarify, it's The Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook is, is the title. Um, they can get it on Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold. But okay. quite honestly, I, look, I don't expect to get rich selling books about uh, intellectual property law. So I give away free PDF copies on my website, uh, which is Clink LLC. So it's K-L-I-N-C-K-L-L-C.com. If somebody will give me, if somebody will give me their, their email address, they can have a free copy of the book. So it's that simple. Awesome. Well, you might get rich if someone tries to take uh, your work and claim it as theirs. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to quit my day job. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, you've, you've talked about thus far the, uh, the, the importance of knowing IP law uh, as an entrepreneur. And within your book, you mentioned the, the, necess the necessity of having an IP audit. So from your perspective, can you tell us what that includes and why it's important to conduct one? Yeah, I use the term just to scare the heck out of people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, no, no one likes the word audit, but really it's, it's just a self-assessment. Uh, the point of an IP audit is to um, help you or help an entrepreneur do what we as lawyers call issue spot. So it's basically getting your attention on something and looking, saying, hey, do I have this in place? Do I have this in place? And so there's a list of things. To, to go through, and some of it's about policies and procedures. You know, do you have a policy about this? Do you have a procedure about this? And then some of it is looking at things like um, uh, uh, assessing what your current assets are and have you taken steps to protect them. So part of the process is literally. And again, some of this apply, uh, will apply to some people, and some of it won't. So there's a section on patents. You know, what are the various inventions or inventive concepts that you've come up with? And you might not have any, but it, you might. And so you'll list those out. And then, you know, I tell you to go through the process of saying, well, is this important to my business? Is it valuable? And have I taken steps to protect it? So it's really a self-assessment tool. And again, so patents are overvalued. People think about them too much. And so that won't be a big issue for people. But let's think about the trademark. So during an IP audit, you'd go through the process and say, what are all my brands I'm using? And you, you do two different things. One, have I taken steps to protect it, which you might want to do or might not want to do based on cost considerations. But then the second step is, have I taken steps to make sure I can use it because no one else has a trademark on it? So that's kind of the process, generally speaking. It gets more complicated if you're a bigger business. Um, you have to start thinking about your whether you have a team of people in place, whether you have communication channels. Uh, set up to make sure the right people are talking. 
But then also part of it is, hey, do I have the written agreements that I need? And do they have the clauses that I need in them? So it's that process. Um, and I, you, know, you can make it very in-depth or you can make it not too in-depth. I have a form that I will use when I'm talking to people that's, I don't know, probably 15, 20 pages long. But you know, some of that's not relevant for various people. But it'll help you just kind of go through the process of doing a checkup and see where you are right now. Excellent. And I think that it's a good idea to get in the habit of addressing that probably, I'd, I'd think maybe an annual basis, but maybe even six months, uh, not only to do the IP assessment, but also to communicate with your team uh, about issues surrounding, uh, surrounding IP. Um, I'm thinking, you know, with my HR hat on and uh, this being a, a training that would be very, very vital for a, a team that, that produces works. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's my thought on, on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think part of the value of IP planning and, and going through this process is it sends a message to your employees that innovation is important to you as a business. Um, if you think about it, in a typical company, employees hear all about financial planning, or not financial, but business planning and, you know, the the, the plan for sales, plan for marketing. So you're sending a message by what you're planning for to your employees about what's important. And if all they're hearing is about sales and marketing, they're thinking, well, that's what matters to the company. If they also hear that you're doing this process of creating an IP plan, it sends a message to them. You can educate them. And for example, maybe your sales team comes up with a really innovative sales strategy that you could protect and could have value. Well, you know, if, if they don't know that they need to be thinking about intellectual property, they're not going to say anything to you. But if they do know, it should come up to you and you can take steps or decide whether it's worth taking steps to protect it. Okay. Uh, the last question that I'll ask here uh, is regarding social media and uh, ways that people can jeopardize intellectual property on social media. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that topic and what would you... What advice would you give for our audience, whether they are the entrepreneur that wants to protect their IP or if they um, might find themselves working for someone and potentially exposing uh, their IP? Yeah, so, so what I would say is one of the big mistakes that people make is kind of related to something we talked about more generally earlier about you know just grabbing an image from somewhere and using it without uh, having the license. So... Um, that's something you want to avoid. Don't go and you know. Don't go and download a Getty image, for example, and put it on a tweet. That would be a bad thing to do. Um, you know, other things that you can do. So, for example, you just need to be careful on the confidentiality side. And you'd hope that this wouldn't happen, but that no one's going to post things uh, on social media about anything that's confidential. Uh, and it's. I can give you some example that I've seen. <laughs> It's kind of related. It's not exactly IP, but and it's it's a generational thing. I'm a bit older. I'm not a millennial. I guess I, I don't know if I'm an Xer or a Yer. I don't know what generation I am, but I'm not a millennial. Okay. But at a prior law firm, I had a there was a millennial working with us, and so it's kind of different because it's not IP. But so you need to understand as lawyers, we have these confidentiality rules. Even if think, something's public, we're not allowed to comment on it unless our client gives us permission. Is generally the rule you should yeah. understand. Yeah. So this this younger lawyer, we've been working for a long time, and we actually, our, our firm, filed a lawsuit against one of the major social media companies on behalf of a client. Mm -hmm. 
the this young lawyer who's uh, uh, was completely public, everyone in the world could see it, posted something about, you know, and it was, I, I don't remember what it was. It wasn't like, you know, and we're at war, but it was something like that. Or it was, and so it begins and posted, you know, something about it. And uh, ironically, on the very social media site that we had filed the suit against. Wow. Um, and so <laughs> uh, I get a call from the general counsel of the company that I'm representing saying, um, hey, so. Uh, we got this issue. I said, I said, what? And he tells me, basically told me about it. And I had to, to you know, go have a discussion. And, and that's the kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a story that kind of illustrates the point that your employees might not be thinking about. And again, employees doing it in their personal capacity is one thing, but you need to be especially firm with anyone who has access to your company's social media accounts, that they understand what is to be disclose and what's not to be disclosed and that they don't accidentally put out some confidential a trade secret for example because that would be a mistake you'd almost certainly well you would you'd lose the trade secret if it happened you know more broadly i think we saw an example a couple weeks ago with mcdonald's where and i haven't heard if someone got to the bottom of why it was that the mcdonald's twitter feed had a negative comment about the president and they clearly didn't the company didn't want him to do it but so someone had done that uh, kind of gone rogue so yeah those are, those are the other kinds of things you need to have in place and have policies for what you're going to do when that, if that happens, I should say. Well, you know, and I, I'm not as uh, abreast of, of that situation there, but what I can say is that there are many, many social tools that allow you to um, compose your thought or what you want to say, and uh, you can send it out via multiple channels at one time. And so the risk is if you've got your personal and you've got your corporate all on the same tool or app or website and you accidentally say something uh, from the corporate page that was meant for your, your private page or for your personal page, then you, know, you can be in a world of trouble. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, that, that, none of that is really IP, but it, it's, it's common sense business that yeah has implications for IP. I mean, you know, there are other horror stories I could tell you where, um, uh, you know, where an employee leaves and they were the only employee with, with the password to the various social media accounts. I'm like, you know, how did you let that happen? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but so those are, again, it's, it's, it's really all social media issues are mainly common sense things. And in the IP world, it's mainly, you know, the obvious don't grab someone's photo and use it. Don't grab, you know, don't use yeah. copyrighted material. Don't um, do things like that. I mean, yeah. those are the issues you have to think about. Yeah, I uh, I had my um, my hard knocks. I learned it the hard way, but uh, that's being young and dumb and, and hungry uh, as an entrepreneur. But uh, won't make that same mistake. Uh, that's yeah. Hey, we, we all we all learn from our failures. I mean, exactly. I, you know, I learned. I learned the, the get it and write in the hard way myself. So, I mean, I understand those types of things. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned where people can go and, and grab your book, but how else can people get in contact with you? And what are some of the services that you can provide for, for our listening audience? Well, so a couple of things they can do. On my website, I mentioned you can get books. There's also a lot of free information. So, there's kind of, I have a, um, an entrepreneur's IP uh, academy, uh, which has uh, basically a bunch of pages with information. I have a blog where I, I address IP issues for entrepreneurs, along with a mix of 
it's just kind of sometimes my random business thoughts or reviews of various books that I found uh, enlightening. Uh, also, though, I have a a four part e course that people can take. It's a short email course. You'll get basically a, an email a day for four days with videos from me, where I talk about the IP planning process, help you understand the, why you need to do it, um, and then also kind of walk through the process with you. Along with if you sign up for that, you'll get a free download of the book. And uh, I mentioned the IP audit form. You'll get that and a couple of other checklists that you can use to help yourself and kind of do it a do-it-yourself model if you want. And that's available at my website, clinkllc.com forward slash podcast. Beyond that, uh, you can um, always follow me on Twitter at Bobby Clink. And I, I tweet about... Um, uh, IP issues, but also business issues, marketing issues, um, the things that I think are interesting to entrepreneurs and and startups, et cetera. As for the services I provide, you know, for your listeners, for most listeners, the most important thing I can provide for you is to help you focus on creating a plan and and basically get your ducks in a row. Uh, make sure that you're thinking about the right things. You know, I, I do that with uh, with companies and entrepreneurs in various ways, and I, I structure fee agreements based upon you know, kind of what an individual client's needs are. And you know, it, it could be that you just want to talk to me a couple of times after you've done a lot of the work yourself, and that's relatively inexpensive. Or it, it could be you want me to come in and really dig into your business and do everything from start to finish. That'll get more expensive, but I can do any level of that that's useful for people. Um, and then often after we've kind of put a plan in place initially, uh, you mentioned it's useful to kind of keep doing these things periodically. A lot of clients will basically want to have a deal where they have a call with me once a month, just for an hour. You know, they, they send me a form in advance, you know, telling me what's going on, what's changed. We talk through and make sure that everything's on track just to keep them focused on it. So, uh, you know, I can tailor any service you want to folks, but that's the general way I go about helping people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Bobby, it's uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I think we've got to do a part two where we uh, dive into uh, social media or um, even the uh, the law around craft brews. Um, <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a lot to be discussed about craft uh, in the craft brewing world. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And I, I see uh, the headlines in the BBJ, the Baltimore Business Journal, about... Um, uh, well, you, as you may know, Guinness is building a uh, a plant here, and uh, there's some laws that are trying to get tweaked and changed, and there's there's some fights of Guinness between the lawmakers, and um, that's brewing on a large scale. But the trickle down impact is that the uh, the the local brew shops like Diamondback and Heavy Seas uh, they might um, they might suffer if some of these things get brought in and become law. So. Uh, yeah, keeping yep. an eye out on all that. But it's been a pleasure, Bobby. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Business Life and Coffee Show, and uh, we'll be in touch. Great. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show with Joey Price. We hope you're inspired to become the best version of yourself after listening to our guest. What thought or idea stood out the most to you? Keep the conversation going by tweeting the show at BizLifeCoffee or our host at JoeyVPriceHR with the hashtag BLCMoments. And if you like what you just heard, pass along our podcast to at least five people. Detailed show notes can be found at www.BusinessLifeAndCoffee.com and our full archive is available on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. This has been a Jumpstart HR production. 
Join us next time for another edition of the Business Life and Coffee Show.